We're going to continue in our sermon series, Truly Blessed. Uh, we started this last week, and what we're going to be doing is we're going through the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me there to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, we're going to read it in its entirety, the first 12 verses, and then we're going to continue, uh, and we're going to talk through. We've been breaking down each Beatitude. Last week we talked with, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So we're going to read it again. And, and really, I think the, the whole point of our series last week is really, hey, I need to trust in Jesus. If I'm going to see the kingdom of heaven, I need to be poor in spirit. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? It means to be humble before God, to say, I cannot play God in my life, that God is the ruler of my life. He's the ruler of my heart. And so I'm going to humbly admit that I need help. I'm going to humbly admit that I'm broken. I'm going to ask God for help, and I'm going to ask the church community for help. That's really what we talked about last week, and, and to recognize our position in Christ, to recognize our position in Jesus, to truly and wholly trust in him. So we're going to continue reading. This is Jesus's most famous sermon, Sermon on the Mount, starting through Matthew chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 1 again. Let's read it with me. It's going to be on the screen behind me. Seeing the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revel against you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil things against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We're going to specifically be talking to verse 4 today. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Let's pray one more time. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this message that you, that you gave to us thousands of years ago as you preached and as you shared to us what are the attitudes that we are supposed to carry as believers in you. We follow you today. We love you today. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Amen. So yes, you did read that correctly and said this, you read this, and this is, this is one of the things with the Beatitudes. Jesus really doesn't hold back. He goes right after us with these Beatitudes, right? Last week with the poor in spirit, and he's talking about this. And we said, listen, these are the attitudes as Christians that the world should be able to expect from us. The world should be able to expect a specific attitude and a response from you as a follower of Jesus. They should not get the same response that they get from others in the world. They should get a different response because we are supposed to be like Christ. And so these are the be attitudes, the attitudes that which be in your life if you want the kingdom of heaven to be present in your existence. And so Jesus says this, specifically the one we're talking about today. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. And it's really interesting because Jesus is saying something that all of us try to avoid in our life, right? How many of us just love mourning? We feel great about it. Not the mourning. You're not a mourning person, but you just love to cry and weep and feel sad about everything. No one, 
right? No one has that feeling. The truth is, I don't want to mourn. I don't want to feel bad about my faults. I want to just kind of walk right past them. The minute that I admit that they're there and I mourn them is the, is the minute that God's comfort can walk in. But I don't want to go through that humiliation. I don't want to go through that shame to admit and begin to mourn. I don't want to mourn the past or mourn the things that have happened to me, the hurts that I've committed to others. I don't want to mourn those things. How many of us have ever been walking through life sometimes? Maybe you're on a drive or maybe you're at work and you're not paying attention to anything and then all of a sudden you think of something that happened in your life and maybe someone against you or maybe something you did foolish and you're kind of like, ah, oh, I don't want to think about that. I want to move on. I don't want to think about that thing. I definitely shouldn't have said that, right? I made that comment I shouldn't have made or, or I thought that thing I shouldn't have thought. Like, I don't want to think about those things. I don't want to mourn the fact that there's a few habits in my life that have gotten out of control, that these things now control me. I don't want to mourn the fact that I can't do anything about it anymore. But I believe the minute that we can understand what it truly is to mourn and what it truly is to trust in God, there's comfort that can come. And I think this is God's real path to comfort, is mourning. It truly is. But our path to comfort is a lot different. So I'm going to go through a couple things that maybe you would recognize that you choose as your path to comfort. we got a lot of different paths to comfort and hope. And I'm going to kind of go through these as quickly, but as I possibly can, but here, here's the thing. We don't want to process our pain. We don't want to take any time. We want to get there right now. We want it quick. We want it now. As my son would say, he doesn't say right away. He says straight away. He said, Dad, I got this new present. When I wake up, I'm playing with it straight away. Right? That's what we want. When we are in pain, we want it done straight away. Right? We want it out. And let me ask you a quick question, and, and, and I, I think this Maybe a little contentious, but I truly believe that this is actually kind of how we think about this idea of mourning. We are a lot of times more okay with people's public sin than we are their public mourning. We're more okay with someone blatantly disobeying God's word or God or doing something completely wrong than we are with someone mourning. Why? Because mourning makes us un uncomfortable. Come on, we've all probably been in a church service, unless you're new to church, or if you've been in, a, in an experience before where you see someone and they're crying. What is everyone in the room doing? What's happening over there? Are they breaking up? Is she breaking up with him? Is he breaking up with her? What's going on? Did something happen? Are they okay? And then everyone's just kind of, I'm going to do the half turn quickly, but I don't want to look too long, right? And your attention's focused on it. And, but it makes you feel... Dig down, how does it make you feel? Uncomfortable. It makes you feel like something's wrong. Something's happening that shouldn't be happening when someone's weeping. Have you ever been at a place where you just see someone just weeping, brokenness? Maybe you're at a funeral. And you're sitting there and you see the brokenness and the gravity of pain. Or you have felt that yourself. And everyone's eyes are on you. And, and maybe there's sympathy or maybe there's empathy, but there's definitely uncomfortable thoughts. I think we just don't know what to do, what's going on, what's happening. We're not sure. Because mourning is almost countercultural. We don't want to mourn. We want to keep it moving. 
right? That's, that's a phrase. You want to keep it moving. I got hurts. I'm going to keep it moving. The problem is you keep moving, but your hurts keep moving with you. And so you can't get past them. So they're hooked to you, digging deeper and deeper. Maybe there's a few things. Maybe your path to comfort and joy is alcohol. I don't want to feel bad, so I'm just going to drink. I'm going to take a drink. Maybe it'll make me feel better. I'll feel lighter. This is what comforts me. Maybe it's a drug of choice. It's a pill that makes me happy or sad. Maybe it's my path to comfort is shopping. I know I can't afford it, and I know I shouldn't buy it, but I just get some adrenaline when I buy something. I get a dopamine hit. Who cares? It'll make me feel better. Maybe I'll return it later, right? Or maybe it's sex. Maybe it's pornography, and I'm addicted to it. And you're like, I can't stop looking at it, or I can't stop feeling bad, or I can't stop thinking immoral thoughts. And, but when I think it, it's kind of a, an imaginary thing, and I kind of like to think about it. I kind of like to follow that path. Or maybe it's self-pity. Maybe you feel bad about yourself. And the more you treat yourself worse, kind of the better you feel. Because you're saying, well, I'm, I'm just really bad. But I know it's true. Or maybe you revel in other people's bad things. Or maybe it's anger. Like, anger, just, I feel good when people are afraid of me. When people are scared, I like that. Right? Whatever it is, there's all these paths to comfort, these, these things that we do to comfort ourselves so that we don't have to mourn, so that we don't have to live in the reality of our feelings so that we don't have to deal with the reality and the gravity of our sin. And I could go on and on and on and on, but there's one word that I'm talking about, and it's escape. We want to escape. We don't want to mourn. We want to escape. And the problem is all the things that I think will give me comfort, will give me escape, maybe it does momentary, but it doesn't last there's no lasting comfort. There's no lasting joy because it's a lie. These things leave me instead addicted, so I have to get more and more and more in order to stay happy. When I should have just looked at why I need comfort in the first place. And I think many of us, maybe you've discovered this. As you search for comfort, as you search for meaning, as you search for life, you're like, I did this. It didn't work out. I did this. It didn't work out. And then we find what is our true source of joy? What is our true source of comfort? We all want to be comfortable. No one in the room doesn't want to be comfortable, right? If we turn the AC off and it was 95 degrees in here, you would leave, okay? You'd be like, love you, I'm out. Or I don't love you, fix the AC and email me when it's back. Come on, somebody. You know what I mean, right? Because we want to be comfortable. We don't want to feel like someone's stepping on our toes. That's why you're actually a little bit of preaching school. Preachers that point a lot of times are seen way harsher. No one wants to be pointed at, right? That's why Walt Disney at Disney World, if you ever go there, they never point. They use their whole hand. I'll show you this way. Why? Because it's softer. It's gentler. It's less abrasive. We all want to be comfortable. And so we're figuring out ways to make ourselves more comfortable. And, and other people, you're walking around, you're like, I don't want to make them feel weird, so I'm not going to point, but I'm going to use my whole hand, right? We're wondering, how can I find comfort? How can I find comfort that lasts? 
But I believe there's some comfort that only God can give, and this is the comfort that he's talking about. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Sometimes I think we expect happy and bad things to never happen, right? We watch a movie and we're like, hey, it's all great, and then it goes bad. But in the end, it's all good, right? Unfortunately, life doesn't work out like that. Sometimes it's good, and then it's bad, and then it's worse, and then it's unbearable, and then maybe it's a little better, and then it's worse again, right? Like, come on, that's been somebody's story in this room. You've felt that. It's not like a movie. It's not like a fairy tale. It's different. It's difficult. But how does God give us this comfort? What is his path to comfort? I think there's a few simple things that we can do to find comfort in this world away from our usual suspects. The first one is this. It's their first fill in the blank is this. is to see who God really is. To see who God really is. Who is Jesus to you? I've said this before, and I believe the most important thing about you is what you believe about God. The most important thing about you is what you believe about God. Is he someone who's like a judge? He's got the gavel, right? And every time you walk in there, it's like, you messed up. You messed up. Right? What do you look at him as? Is he someone who you believe doesn't even see you? He ignores you. He doesn't think about you. You're just another piece on the chessboard. How do you view God? Or see that nosy person who's looking over your shoulder. What are you doing now? You know what I mean? Like, how do you view God? And culture has placed a lot of caricatures about who God is, right? There's different figures about who God is. And the enemy of your soul knows that the more that you believe lies about God and who he isn't, the harder it will be to trust him. If you see him as unjust, you'll keep your distance. If you see him as harsh, you won't go to him in times of need. If you see him as non-existent, there's no point of even having the conversation. But that's not the truth. The truth is Jesus died for you. The truth is that he came down for you, and he would have come down for just you. That God is sitting at the right hand. That Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God right now, and it says he's interceding for what? For you. That's a wild statement to know that God is sitting at the right hand, or Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God praying for you. He's saying your name right now, saying, Myself, I pray for Tim. That he has a great day today. You know, I mean, like, he's literally praying for us. That's what he's doing. He has so much compassion. He has so much grace towards us. Check out what it says in Psalms 86, chapter, or verse 15, chapter 86, verse 15. But you, O Lord, are compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. How many of us wish that that was something that could be said of us? I wish I could be slow to anger and abounding in love, but I'm certainly not. Thankfully, he is. That's what God is. He's compassionate through the hurts, through the hang-ups, through the bad habits that we all have. That's what he is. Compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, and he stays in relationship with you. He doesn't walk. 
He doesn't look over and say, you know what, that's not too bad. You know what I mean, right? That's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. I know your arm's broken, but you can put it in, it'll be fine. He doesn't do that. No, he sits with you. What's the shortest verse in the Bible? Jesus wept. It's one of the most powerful things to think that the God of the universe sits, who he is. He sits and weeps with two sisters as their brother's dead when he knows he's going to raise him from the dead. Why would he do that? For real, why would he do that? He could have just been like, it's all good. Let's keep it moving, Mary. Let's keep it moving. Martha, don't worry about it. He's coming back. No, he sits and he weeps with them. Why? Because he knows that the true path to comfort is dealing with your reality, is dealing with your sin. It's not covering it, but it's dealing with it. And he's willing to sit with you in it. He's willing to be with you in it. He's not out to condemn you. He's a compassionate God. He cares about your hurts. He cares about your habits. And I remember sitting in the pews in college. And I don't get to sit in a pew very often, but I remember now, back then, and when I would, we'd sit in the pews, and I remember thinking to myself, you know, the pastor gives the question at the end, how many of us want to respond? You know, you got something you're dealing with. And I remember thinking, like, am I really going to raise my hand 52 weeks out of the year? You know, like, am I, I'm always struggling with something. Am I really going to, and I was like, well, then the pastor is going to think that I'm doing something that I'm not doing. You know what I mean? Like, those things go through your mind. You're like, I can't, you know, maybe I'll raise my hand like this. You know what I mean? I'll just do one of these. You know? Because I don't want anyone to know that I'm struggling. Well, the jig is up. We're all struggling. Come on, somebody, right? So what is the point of hiding it from a God who can see you? There's no point. Because the reality is, this is who he is. He's a compassionate God. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 says, God is a father who's full of mercy and comfort. Full. At the end of Psalms 23, which is one of the most famous psalms, and I'm sure you would know it, right? At the end of the second stanza, it says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Right? And then it goes on to say, you prepare a table in front of me with my enemies and my cup overflows. So he's saying, listen, your rod and your staff, the rod for the shepherd is a beating tool to keep the sheep in line. It's a disciplinary tool. And the staff was long enough to beat away other animals, coyotes, whatever would come, bears, all these things. These are discipline tools. These are tools of comfort to David. David says, listen, I know I go left and right. Sometimes I may need a kick back left, God. I mean, a kick back right. I'm walking. Have you ever seen that video of, of the guy? I think he's in Ireland, and he picks the sheep out of a canal. And he sets it on the ground, right? And the, the sheep right here, and all the other sheep are right there. And the sheep just turns, runs right back into it, and jumps right back in. And he's standing there with his hands up like, are you kidding me? Right back in. How many times is that us? But you know what that guy did? Walked right down the canal, picked him back up again. That's what God does for you. That's who he is. The reality is he's the person who cares about you the most. And the person in the room or in your life who cares about you the least is one who lets you do whatever you want. 
That's the truth of our culture that's super countercultural. Anyone who doesn't love you won't correct you. They won't challenge you. They won't say anything because they don't love you enough to. And I get sometimes relationships are difficult, and you're like, I'm not going to say this, I'm not saying this. I'm saying you got to navigate it. Don't be a hammer, you know what I mean? But God says in Hebrews chapter 12 that discipline comes to all of us. And if he doesn't discipline you, then you are not a true child of God. Check this out in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to continue reading from verse 3. Blessed be the God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and comfort, right? So here's the fact. Verse 4 is the fact. He comforts us in our affliction. Why does he comfort you? This is a fact. He comforts you in your pain. He comforts you in your affliction. Why? So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort of ourselves, which we ourselves have been comforted by God. Then here's the gospel. For we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, either here on earth or in eternity. So through Christ we share abundantly in his comfort as well. God brings comfort to us all. That's who he is. But then he asks you to bring comfort to those who are around you. If you've always thought God's this big guy in the sky who just wants you, you know, to get it together, he wants to beat you down, he wants to ruin your life, he wants to take away your fun. No, that's not it. He loves you. He cares about you. He's with you. He wants to comfort you. You. That's number one, see who God is. Number two is see who I really am. See who I really am. One of the things that I have to see about myself is that I'm broken. This is kind of what we talked about last week. So I'm going to spend a little less time on this point. We spent a lot of time on this last week. And so if you want to listen to it on the podcast, it was last week. But the reality is, is that I'm broken. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. God's glorious standard, we cannot meet. We cannot beat. So I need to see who I really am. I've never met a person who's not sinned, and neither have you. Right? We are all broken. And I think a lot of times, I spend way too much time hiding my brokenness from other broken people rather than dealing with my brokenness with our perfect Father. I don't want to show anyone I'm broken. I don't want to show my weakness. Because if I do, then what will they think about me? We put on these masks at church. It's the reality. It's what we do. It's just, it, and, and I believe it is absolutely unintentional. I've been in church long enough. I believe it is 100% unintentional. I have talked to people at work. I have shared the gospel with them. We will have fun. We'll laugh. We'll talk. They'll be who they are. They'll be telling bad jokes or swearing the moment they walk into the church. Hey, hey, Jeff, how you doing? Right? I mean, they're stiff as a board. One guy was like, I don't want to go in there. I think God might strike me with lightning. I'm like, he would burn down the church, so he's not going to do that just for you. You know what I mean? He doesn't not like you because we have this, oh, i got to clean myself up for God. That's not how it is. I hide my brokenness from other people. No, we're all broken. We have the same struggles. There's no pointing fingers. And we need to recognize true freedom comes through recognizing who you are.
right? But that's easy to preach. We all know we're broken. Here's something as I was writing this, I felt God said. He said, everyone in the room knows they're broken. He said, but there's many in the room who don't know they're loved. He said, everyone in that room right now knows they're broken. They know the gravity of their sin. They know the gravity of their their darkness. They do not believe that they are loved. They do not believe that. The Bible says, God says this, human's love will fade. But he says, this is the Lord speaking. I love you with an everlasting love. And so I will continue to show my kindness. God's love is a pure gift. You are loved. You do not have to earn it. You could not earn it. I could not earn it. We, we learn love at a simple age. You do this for me, I'll do it for you. We learn that. But that's not how it works with God. He did everything. And so all we have to do is accept. Check this out in Romans chapter 3, verse 24. God, in his gracious kindness, declares us not guilty. He has done this through Christ Jesus who has freed us by taking away our sins. I think so many of us, we see ourselves in a, in a negative way. If I were to hold a mirror to every single one of us in this room, I promise you even the most confident person could see a blemish. They could see a sarcastic joke about themselves. Because we see ourselves in a negative way. Maybe there's something you hate about yourself. But God loves you. You don't have to change that blemish, that brokenness. You can give it to him. You know, the most confident person I've ever met in my life is my friend Nick. I've talked about him a couple times before. He's the type of guy who you don't want to go out to eat with because he'll have a word for the server. You know, it's like, Nick, come on. Can we just get through a meal without you having to pray for somebody? You know what I mean? And then you're like, did I just say that? You know? And you're like, God, I'm a pastor, and I just said that. That's a bad thing. I'm like, I just want to enjoy my maple house. You know what I mean? Right? I don't. And he's like, I got it. The bus boy over there, I know his name. I'm like, don't be the weirdo. You know, all of a sudden he's gone. I'm like, whatever. You know what I mean, right? He's the most confident person I've ever met in my life. But it's not in him. His confidence comes from God. He knows his gravity of his sin. But he just knows that God loves him so much and he believes God loves everyone around him so much that he will embarrass anyone and everyone to tell them. Because he said, I don't want to waste a moment. And it challenges me deeply because I feel uncomfortable. But I want to feel comfort and true comfort cannot come from a drug, a pill, an idea of what it could be out there, the world, a movie, shopping. It comes from Jesus Christ. The third one is this. See how God can change me. See how God can change me. When I say this, God can change me, this whole idea for change, I think has, we have negative connotations when it comes to us, right? A lot of times we think, I'd like to change, but I just don't have the energy. I'd like to change, but I just don't have the time. I'd like to change, but I've been this way for as long as I can remember, and I ain't changing now. Come on, somebody. I know you've said that before. I'm too tired right now, right? And if you've ever felt that way, if you've ever felt too tired, too broken, or too stuck in the old, your old way, welcome to the club. We meet Sundays at 10 a.m. That's all of us, right? 
Have you ever heard a reaction when, when, when you say to someone, I believe God can change their life, and they're like, yeah, me too. I think he can, right? You've maybe thought this. I've prayed a hundred times. I've prayed a thousand times. I've never prayed before. It seems like a waste of time. I keep doing the same thing. I keep disappointing myself. I'm disappointing God. Who am I kidding? I'll never change. These are thoughts that I feel like sit in our mind. And then the enemy jumps in and is like, yeah, you definitely won't change for sure. In fact, you're only going to get worse. How can I change my life for God? What can I do? Where's the power to change? And a lot of times I think if we can think about the gravity of it, we throw it all on our own shoulders and we just want to quit. Have you ever felt that way? I don't know about you, but Jack Ryan season four just came out on Amazon Prime, and it seems a lot better to just not change and just binge watch that. Come on, somebody. You know what I mean, right? Or just eat a bunch of Chipotle. Feels great. I've been eating too much already, you know? No. How do I find the power to change? Check out this in Isaiah chapter 40. We're going to read a few verses. Have you never heard or understood? Don't you know? The Lord is an everlasting God, the creator of the earth. He never grows faint or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to those who are tired and worn out. He offers strength to the weak. Even the youth will become exhausted and young men will give up. But those who wait on the Lord will find new strength. They will fly high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Break it down quickly. He gives strength. He gives power. He gives endurance. We cannot beat this on our own. The power to change does not lie within your strength, within your aptitude, within your IQ, within your EQ, within your willpower. It lies on your waiting on the Lord. That's why I love that song, Trust in God. I trust in God. My Savior, the one. He will never fail. I know I will, but I know he won't. That's the truth. That's the truth. If we could have someone come with the keys at this time. The power to change is not based on your strength. Recently, as many of you know, we were on vacation, and we went on vacation, and we had a day at the lake, and we rented a boat. And uh, me being myself, I just like to jump in the lake without a life jacket, Okay. And uh, I just like to do it. I like to just do the good old pencil into the water because it's fun, right? And, uh, you know, honestly, I thought with my buoyancy, you know, my life jacket around here, I would be able to float. But turns out you still have to tread water, you know, right? So I, I was jumping and we were jumping in the water all day long, all day long, all day long, right? And I didn't even tell this to anybody, but I was just swimming around and I was feeling great. I was feeling a pump. Honestly, I felt like pretty strong, you know what I mean, right? And I'm swimming, I'm swimming, I'm swimming. And I just kept jumping in, jumping in. And then all of a sudden, everyone in our family was out there in the water. And they all had life jackets on. But I didn't have one. And then I realized, oh, my legs are done. And I was like, I'm away from the boat a little bit. And I'm sitting there treading water. And I'm like, I'm in big trouble. I'm in real big trouble right now. You know what I mean? And I tried not to panic to myself and just start taking deep breaths. Right? And I'm, I'm like, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. And then all of a sudden, thankfully, Hudson was sitting on a floaty that was tied to a rope that was away from the boat. And so I just had to swim like 12 feet and grab onto the rope. And everyone's like, you okay? And I'm like, yep, yep. And I'm just pulling myself to the boat like this over here. And I finally get to the boat and I get up and in. And I, next time I jumped in, I had a life jacket on. 
but I kind of think that's how we can be with life. We're out there, we're like, I like to kind of do life on my own because it feels a little freer. I like to just, you know, pencil into the water because it feels a lot funner to do it my own way, right? I can swim around, I can swim fast, I can swim slow, I can float, I can do everything I want to do. But then I eventually run out of strength. And without that rope, I would have been in big trouble. And the reality is that rope is God. And he's right there to lend me a hand when I'm trying to do it on my own. He would prefer if I jumped in with a life jacket, which is also him, so I could have protection. But he also has the grace for those of us who seem to want to keep doing it our own way. And he's right there next to me. And the power to change is trusting in him. It's waiting on him. It's saying, God, I'm done jumping in on my own. I want you around me. I want you to protect me. I want you to save me. I can't figure it out on my own. If I want true comfort in this world, if I want true peace and hope in this world, I need to be in you. I need to wait on you. So here's the things I said. A few things we need to realize if we're going to have true comfort. I need to see who God is. Truly. Not any characters of him. I need to see who he is. I need to see who I am. I need to know that I'm broken, but I also need to know that I'm loved. And I need to see how God can change me. And how can he change me? I can trust in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for giving us this Bible, giving us this incredible guide for life, this story, your story, that we can read from and we can know the lifelong, the lifelong testimonies and the powerful things that you say and what you've spoken to the church generation after generation after generation and how you've been there and how you never change. God, I pray this week that we would see more of who you are. I pray this week that we would know how loved we are. And I pray this week that we would have the power to change. And the power to change does not come based on our strength, on our intelligence. It comes based on our trust in you. I pray that trusting in you would grow. I pray that as we sing this anthem, that we trust in you, that it would not just become a song that we sing, it would become a lifestyle that we live, that we would trust in God. We love you today. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen.